Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Love of Life podcast. And we have a special guest in the studio tonight, in the house. We have David Vaughn. Uh, pastor Vaughn is, he was the uh, pastor at Liberty Christian Church from 1996 to 2018. He's the author of several books, including biographies on Patrick Henry, William Wilberforce, and my favorite, Jonathan Edwards. He's also co-written a book with his wife, Diane, called The Beauty of Modesty. He was a host on KSIV's Encounter Radio Show, KSIV 91.5 FM and 13.20 AM on Thursday afternoon at 2 o'clock. That was Encounter Worldview Matters. Is. Is. It's back on. It's back on. Oh, you're back on. (laughs) I just learned that. (laughs) Oh, well, I didn't know this. So great. Perfect. Okay. Also, he was my pastor for over two decades. He's the pastor that married Courtney and I. And uh, he never shied away from preaching the whole counsel of God, which means he actually preached from the word and he called out sin as sin and he did not truncate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Often he'd be 30 minutes deep into his sermon and declare with sincerity that that's just my introduction. And he'd go on to preach for another 45. So he's David Vaughn. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me tonight. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you here. Any education apart from Jesus Christ is for us miseducation. And it produces not education nor an educated man, but a new race of barbarians who are today busily destroying their civilization. Humanistic education is the institutionalized love of death. Christian education because it serves him who says I am the way the truth and the light is the love of life this is the love of life podcast conversations with Jesse and Courtney so let's start with a ministry question so you were you were both uh, a, you were can, a pastor. Can I drink on the show? Yeah. You can drink right. whatever you want to do. Yeah, I was hoping you'd smoke on the show. I brought my pipe. So okay. Have at it. So you were a teaching pastor, but you were also a counselor. In that, you really spent a lot of time with your flock, with mm-hmm. your congregation. Um, yes. Some pastors. They kind of have this green room setting where they're in, then they come out and preach, and then they kind of disappear. Mm-hmm. But, but, but you didn't do that. You were really involved with your people. Right. Did you see that modeled somewhere? Was there another pastor or books that you read that led you to this? Or do you think this is just biblical precedent for a pastor? Uh, I think I saw it modeled by my pastor, Wayne Carson, uh, of Clayton Community Church. Also... I just think that's what shepherds do when you look at the word. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It leads me to this. and the, I mean, there's clearly a personal connection. Now, the thing is, if you have a church for a thousand people, you can't counsel a thousand people. Right. right? So what happens is churches get larger. The, the lead pastor, senior pastor position becomes more, probably more administrative. But then you have a larger staff that will do that for you. I had a church of 200 people, 250 people. I mean, that's still a lot. Mm-hmm. I had a co-pastor, had deacons that spent time with people also. They, uh, I encouraged them to also shepherd. 
But uh, it's just, I mean, I just think that's what you do. That's what a pastor does. I mean, a preacher can preach, um, but that doesn't make him a pastor. The very word pastor really means to shepherd. Mm -hmm. Feeding is part of that, but that's not all of it. Yeah. You know, it is counseling. We call it counseling, but it's more than that. It's discipleship, you know, counseling and, and that sort of thing. So... That's just what I did. So if a pastor has, say, roughly 200, 250 people in his congregation, and all he wants to do is just preach and kind of do his own thing Monday mm -hmm. through Friday, is that is he really just doing half of his job? Well, if he's going to do that, he needs to have a staff that picks up the slack. I mean, maybe he has a co-pastor whose who's first gift is shepherding. Then he can shepherd. But you can't hide. I mean, I, even Spurgeon had one day a week where he sat in his office and people came in all day long. Short appointments, but if they had questions or concerns or, or prayer needs, they could bring it straight to him. One day a week. And Spurgeon had pretty much a mega church. He had tons yeah, of people. Yeah, he had 5,000 or more, and he preached eight times a week. Wow. So, wow. yeah, every night of the week and then twice twice on Sunday. So, so you have, you can't, in my opinion... I shouldn't say you can't. You can, but you shouldn't be that detached from the church. I mean, a lot of, you know, we've seen so many scandals today, right? Mm -hmm. Scandals. Especially the, the, the pastors with the large large churches, the celebrity names. They have large staffs. They're completely disconnected to the body. And they get isolated. Um, and they have problems. And what happens? Women, drugs, money. You read it's all the time. It yeah. happens all the time now. So, in that sense, the body is good for a pastor. I mean, you can walk into a room and preach a, a passage, and the word is the word, and it's good, right? God can use it, and He does. But that's not how I pre prepared for sermons. I knew my people, mm -hmm. so I knew their sins, I knew their strengths, I knew what they needed to hear. And I preached to them, the word to them. It was for them. It wasn't for people listening on the podcast. It was for them. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's what I think pastors need to do. Yeah. You know, feed their sheep first. That's good. So, yeah. Yeah, and kind of in line with some of those pastoral duties, um, you meet with people before they get married. You did our pre-marriage mm -hmm. counseling. Mm -hmm. What are some of the fundamental things that you go through? In that. For premarital counseling? Yes, for premarital counseling. Why don't you tell us? No. <laughs> You've been through it, right? Yes, it was wonderful. <laughs> I know you made us read Reforming Marriage, which was great. By Doug Wilson. Mm -hmm. And then I spent a lot of time asking you Bible questions that had nothing to do with right. our premarriage counseling. <laughs> right, exactly. Because exactly. you were such a wealth of knowledge. So oh, thank you. And you weren't a Calvinist back then either. I wasn't, so, so I had many, many questions. <laughs> many questions. Yes. Oh, I, I used Doug's book... Um, Reforming Marriage, and then I wrote a study guide for it. I've also used a book that he wrote on, on uh, parenting. I can't remember the name right now. I wrote a study guide for that also. I don't think we went through that one. Mm -mm. It's done. But book. you're doing fine. What is it? You're going on five now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you got the message somewhere. Um, anyway, uh, you know, that book is just takes through basic concepts like the the fact that the, the the husband and wife relationship is a, is the gospel, right? So the husband represents Christ, the bride represents the bride of Christ, 
the wife represents the bride of Christ, Ephesians 5, 23. It uh, uses that terrible word submission in there, that awful word headship. Right, <laughs> right terrible. Well, listen, this is probably 20 years ago. The Baptist, maybe 50 years ago, they put out, put out a public statement, I don't know why, about marriage. And in the Southern Baptist, and in the statement, it I don't even know if it used the word headship. It might have used the word submission. But it basically said, you know, the, the, the wife is to follow her husband's lead, that kind of thing. And and the, the culture went crazy. Mm-hmm. Just went crazy. But even people in the church went crazy. And you think, you begin to ask yourself, well, how can they be reading the same Bible I'm reading and not... Well, and and what what happens is in a lot of churches, it's not what they preach; it's what they don't preach. Mm. You can preach your whole life and never preach on Ephesians five, <laughs> right? You don't have to, yeah. Unless you're going to preach expositorily and go through the New Testament, there's so many passages you can avoid. Yeah, sure. You never have to talk about these things, so you just ignore them, and that's what's happened with the church with concepts like that. They've just been ignored. Um, the reason why, because they're offensive, mm-hmm. offensive to the natural man, that is, yeah. to, the, to the unsaved. And um, probably since I was early in my ministry, and we're talking now mid-80s, uh, that's when the church growth thing really took root in the culture and even in the evangelical church. You're talking about men who were being trained in seminary how to grow a big church. Okay. That's different than how to preach the gospel, how to evangelize, how to grow a big church. Mm-hmm. Um, and that movement then diminished the, the full preaching of the word, the preaching of the whole counsel of God, because there's just things in the word that are going to offend. Mm-hmm. And so things in marriage like headship, submission, talked, that book talked about money, talked about um, confession actually in marriage, talked about, I think it did talk a little bit about well, it talked about two chapters on kids, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. And birth control <clears throat> came up. Yeah. Um, I want to tell you a story. No, just <laughs> I want to interview her. I might. <laughs> He's so, you know, r- really things that are fundamental when you when you think about it. Yeah. Um, but you can't build a house without a foundation. Yeah. Literally or, you know, metaphorically. And so... Unfortunately, as you know, the, the family in our culture is just, it's just destroyed mm-hmm. because those foundations have not been taught. And the church is partly responsible, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. Can you give us kind of a definition of what, or a picture of what biblical headship looks like and biblical submission? Wow. That's a, uh, biblical headship looks like, um, Jesus. So what did Jesus do? Paul even says in that passage that he gave himself for her, right? Mm -hmm. That she would be sanctified, basically, without spot and blemish, okay? Um, So that means assuming the responsibility in your marriage for the, well, spiritual and emotional, I would say, welfare of your wife, and of course, obviously, for the children, too. Um, that, That is not lording over in the the sense that people think of it. In scripture, the husband has real authority. Okay. Now, um, one of the things I talk about a lot 
regarding a biblical worldview is what I call the, the circles of life. Okay, and there's three. It's the family, the church, and the state. Okay, these are three spheres, all of which have jurisdiction over different areas of life, and all of which have genuine authority in the eyes of God. And so God governs the world through these three spheres. Okay, the family, the church, and the state. So the husband has authority in his home. If, if the husband were to pass away, that authority would go to you. You become the covenant head of the home because the, your husband has, you know, no longer there. But with the husband there, he's the covenant head. So he assumes responsibilities for the wife and for the children. Um, like all delegated, all authority in the universe comes from God, which means it is limited by God. It is ministerial or delegated authority. He can't make up any rules contrary to the word of God. He cannot demand anything contrary to the word of God. He cannot do anything contrary to the word of God, or he violates his position as the head of the home. Okay. Well, for any woman that knows the Bible, that will bring peace. Okay. Not fear of his authority, but if you understand the Bible, that will bring you a sense of security. Okay. That yes, his authority is real, but it is limited by God. It is under, it is authority under God and accountable to God. So that being the case, the, the headship as understood in, in scripture is, as I said earlier, is an assumption of responsibility for spiritual, emotional, even financial, whatever. It's to carry the way, just the way Jesus carried the cross. He did it for the church, right? Didn't do it for himself. He didn't take the easy path. The easy path was would have been to listen to Satan. See, I'll take the kingdom to the world. I can avoid the cross, right? No, he took the hard path for the benefit of the church. Um, submission, I think, is fair. Is simply the wife recognizing that authority. I've done many, many, many years. I mean, many hours. It seems like years. <laughs> many hours of marriage counseling. Yeah. I've had women, women sitting in my office with their husbands sitting there and, she, and say bluntly, why should I respect him? Mm-hmm. Why should I respect him? Wow. You know, um, They clearly misunderstand the message of the Bible. You're respecting the authority that God has granted your husband. And, and that is unassailable. God's authority is unassailable. So you honor that in him. <clears throat> it doesn't mean he earned, he, the husband doesn't earn the wife's respect. <clears throat> okay. And the husband doesn't earn the position of headship. It's granted. It's granted by God. And you, the response, the, the wife's response is to respond to what God has granted to her husband. Okay. So God puts a crown on your husband. You respond to the crown, if you will. And the husband puts a crown on you. King, queen, right? Mm-hmm. And so, the, the, um, well, I believe when a wife genuinely understands the role of the husband, actually, that, are, that, that submission, that response of respect and honor um, becomes much more easy. Never totally easy, because we are who we are. We're fallen creatures, Right. But um, submission doesn't mean being a door, doormat. That's the common, you know. doesn't mean the wife cannot have opinions or even be opinionated. You can speak the truth in love. Okay, you can, A wife can speak to her husband anything she wants in love. 
but she cannot dishonor him. Okay, and especially in front of the children. Um, so, yeah, so there. That's good. Yeah, that's, that's great. Really good. Yeah. So what yeah. happens if the husband is not leading well or he's abdicating that role? The wife is still responsible to submit. Well, the, the uh-huh. classic passage on that is First Peter 3, where, where uh, Peter tells women, uh, you know, to win your husband without a word. Okay. In other words, don't nag him. Don't criticize him. That's never going to work with a man, I can tell you. It'll never work with a man. <laughs> Nagging doesn't work. It drives men away. Um, and the worst thing you want as a wife, believe it or not, is for your husband to do what you want. What you want your husband to do is what God wants. And uh, many women don't understand that. And so they nag their husbands to get what they want, but they're still not happy. And then they wonder why they don't respect their husband. Mm. Because he needs to walk in, in the authority that God has granted him. Walk in that and grow in that. Um, now, three I mentioned three circles, right? The circles of life. <laughs> so, because authority is delegated from God and it's ministerial, it's limited. And if a husband is abusing his authority, now there's two ways... He can abuse it. One is by being overbearing. The other one is by abdicating. Okay. The wife can not only address him respectfully, but if she has addressed him, I would say three times, um, and there's not a response, I believe she has the right to go to her elders, pastor, and say, there's a problem in my home. I'd like, we'd like to meet with you. I'd like to meet with you and discuss this. And if you have a biblical church, the elders will get involved because they have authority too. Okay, um, that's why God designed the three of them to, to counterbalance one another to keep them, you know, checks and balances, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So I would appeal now. If there's something extreme like physical abuse, I would say go immediately to the civil authorities. Mm-hmm. Those are also designed by God um, for your protection. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any um, advice you would give to, let's say there's a married couple and the woman gets saved after they get married, so she's with an unbelieving spouse and there are problems? Well, yeah, and now you're dealing with, <clears throat> yeah, those are very complicated. I mean, that I believe that's actually what Peter was addressing. Okay. Now, commentators differ on that. Some say, no, this was probably a saved couple and the guy's just allows the husband or backslidden <laughs> or something, you know. I think it was probably not say, but he, it's hard to say either way. Um, Paul does address a little bit in First Corinthians seven. Um, the wife, even into Christian marriage, does not go through her husband to God. She goes to God for her spiritual nurture. Okay, um, she has a relationship with God, not through him, but directly. Up, directly. Right. I don't want to say apart because that sounds like a separation, but she has her own direct relationship with the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. She's her environment, whether it's her husband or anything, doesn't alter that. Nothing alters that in terms of our commitment to God. So now her husband can make it harder. <laughs> her husband can make you know, but um, she has to fulfill her obligations to God. Now, what Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 7 is if a husband won't tolerate it, 
or, or a wife, then the spouse is free to leave. Okay, I mean, if, if an unsafe spouse is so unhappy and they want to leave, let them leave. Mm-hmm. And then you're free to remarry. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, if she's getting, if it's abusive, well, she can appeal to her, her pastors or she can appeal to the civil authorities. You know, uh, in no in no case is it okay for someone under authority to be abused, whether it's a wife or even a citizen from the state or sure. church members from the elders. It's unacceptable, and so you have every right to appeal. But you know, I'd have to know a lot of details about that situation sure. to give specific counsel. Yeah, but um, a lot of prayer. I mean, yeah. no, really, you know, a lot of prayer that he would get converted. Is that what it could look like to win him without a word? Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. But again, you know, it's hard It's hard to give specifics because I don't know them. And so, you know, he might be the kind of guy that's very happy with the, man, go to church, have fun. Get yes. home and I'll barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. he could be like, what are you doing going to church? So you have all, and, and all these ranges of possibilities, which would affect how she walks out of faith, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's a tough one. Yeah. Very tough. Yeah. So you might have kind of already touched on this with the pre-marriage counseling, but what are some of the most important components of solid marriages? I didn't know we were doing marriage counseling. <laughs> there are some marriage questions. We won't stay on this topic We'll go forever. to culture next. <laughs> um, boy, I wish my wife was in on this interview. Man, if only she was here. I know. If only she could have been here. we could here. bring her in. Yeah, I don't think that'll work. <laughs> um... Well, I think that it really begins even before you're married in the sense of <clears throat> picking somebody that's really like-minded, okay? Now, you don't have to agree on everything, but, you know, I married my wife because she loved Jesus. And that's true. I mean, she was pretty and all that other stuff. All that other stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. That was all great. That's icing on the cake. But the cake was... I knew she loved Jesus. I, I mean, I knew that. And that might sound obvious, but it's a lot of Christians, you really couldn't, you really couldn't point them and say, that person loves Jesus. Sure. You know, maybe they go to church, maybe they, whatever. But that was like fundamental. So if that's true about your spouse, that they really love Jesus, a lot of marriage problems either don't arise or they're easier to work out. Okay. Um, you know, you, you've been married, right? You understand the temptation to change your spouse, right? To alter their behavior in some way. In some area, maybe they do something that annoys you. you sure. Know, right? It's part of life. Yeah. Um, in a lot of cases, though, if your spouse is really seeking the Lord and doing something sinful, and if you're truly a praying Christian, you pray for them, God will convict them, mm-hmm. and the Lord will deal with them. And um, that doesn't mean good Christian couples can't hit bumps. I mean, you sure. know, we all hit bumps. We all have, we're fallen, so we have things. There's no perfect marriage. But I think the devotion to the Lord in a, in a very deep personal way is 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 the ultimate source of marital success um so yeah um 
Now, a lot of people say spouses should pray together on a regular basis. That's good. My wife and I have prayed together off and on. You know, we don't have a daily routine. We don't do Bible studies together. Um, but because I was in the pulpit, I taught my wife every week. Okay. I taught her before I was in the pulpit. <laughs> um, and so I was ministering to her as well as the congregation. Um, so family Bible study is great. We would talk about the word around the dinner table. A lot of times I'd read a little scripture and just the kids would talk, you know, mm-hmm. try to minister the word that way. Uh, that's part of shepherding your family too. So um, I don't know if that, that's helpful. Yeah, to that you. is. You have yeah. a word actually for what husbands are. In their home regarding spiritual things. I do. Yeah. <laughs> you don't remember? Tell me. He's my resident theologian. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Oh, yeah. It's true. Well, that's part of the assumption of authority and the the weight of it. Because in 1 Corinthians 14, when women are told to be silent in the church, mm-hmm. say, ask your husband at home if you have a question. Well, many men would be terrified <laughs> if the pastor could have said, Ladies, when you go home, ask your husband some theological questions today. Okay. Um, and I had women over the years. I've had women come to me after after church and ask me questions. I'd say, "Go home and ask your husband." Wow. You know? Not that I would never answer a question, but the point was, sure. you know, that's yeah. part of him growing up in, into his his headship. Yeah, you know, that's what he does. He is the resident theologian. Yeah. That's a good phrase. No. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I'll use that Stuck. again. <laughs> yeah. You should. Yeah. 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 It's it's a coined phrase in my mind. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any advice or encouragement for a person whose spouse has walked away from the Lord or is having a crisis of faith? Maybe they both go into it married and then and be- being believers and then one struggling. Um, is this person... <laughs> I feel like These we're talking. I feel like I'm we're talking about somebody, but not talking about somebody. <laughs> <clears throat> well, again, in that case, it's a spiritual problem. Well, it could be a moral problem. A lot of people walk away from the faith saying it's an intellectual problem, but it's not. It's a moral problem. Okay, mm-hmm. looking there's something going. He's looking at porn and nobody knows about. You know, yeah. whatever's going on. You know, she's got a boyfriend on the side. You, you know. So things happen or going on you don't know about. You think, well, what happened to him? He seemed like he's doing great. Um, so, but uh, other than getting the, the I'd get the pastors involved if you're if you're part of a church, which is a good reason to be part of a church, right? And then obviously prayer because this person needs a you know probably needs a breakthrough. They need, or they need to be convicted of sin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're quote backsliding because of a sin problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the Lord is real. He's present, so he he works miracles. He can intervene in any life situation, and I believe that when a, a husband or wife prays for the spouse, the Lord listens. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Love of Life podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. It is our duty through our schools to create a new one a God-centered one. We are told in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death.